Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're listening to Sci-Fi Wire's Days of Marvel podcast. On today's episode, it's day one of our 12 Days of X-Men countdown, and we're talking about 2000's X-Men. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sci-Fi Wire's Days of Marvel podcast. I'm today's host, Adam Swiderski, and on this podcast, we are counting down to the release of Dark Phoenix by revisiting all the X-Men movies, one day at a time. Each day, we tackle a different movie, re-explore the plot, call out our favorite moments, and discuss its place in the ever-expanding universe of X-Men films. So let's jump right in. Today, I'm joined by my brotherhood of mutants. If you guys want to introduce yourselves. Woo, I am Alexis Loynes, news editor at Sci-Fi Wire. Hello. Hello, I'm Erin Lucasio. I am a producer and editor here at Sci-Fi Wire. Hi, guys. You, Hi. Ready, to, you ready to get mutated? Yeah, let's mutate. All right. Let's Absolutely get are. Excellent. And uh, as always, unfortunately, we are joined by our unofficial uh, fourth member. Uh, and is, it pains me to do this, but I'd like to introduce our AI companion, Warvis. What a thoughtful and sentimental intro, Adam. Thank you so much. As Adam said, I am Warvis. Back in action after my 22 days of Marble debut, I am here to answer all all of your X-Men questions and needs. Oh, so entertaining. We like Warvis. Warvis I is don't like, like no. Warvis. Warvis is like Warlock on the New Mutants. Ooh, okay. If you say so. Right? Yeah. Right? Warvis was mad drunk no, for the Marvel no. podcast, yeah. so let's hope he, he didn't, you know, he the didn't drink we, as many cocktails know, this The less time we involve Warvis, the better, in my mind. <laughs> Get I'm, out wa- of here, I'm watching him. Anyway, okay. So, X-Men, journey back with me 20 years. Has now. it been 20 almost, years It's been 19 right? 19. Years. That's almost insane. 20. Which almost is just, 20. Yeah, I'm just going to round up. Uh, what a different time it was. It was. For superhero films, meaning there were none. No, this was really <laughs> the first like kick off this kind of era of superhero films. Yeah, well, Blade came in 98. And yeah, Blade, forget about Blade. Blade did okay. It, it did, did it, fine. It did a lot it did better. Fine. It did a lot better on okay. home video, right? But it was not a situation where people were like, wow, Blade was great. Let's make a bunch of superhero movies. Well, you got to remember what came right before Blade was the amazing Batman movies exactly. by Joel Schumacher. All due respect to Joel Schumacher. We were, in a, we were in a dark time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there had been many, many attempts, actually, to this point to get an X-Men movie off the ground. Various scripts had been written. And finally, we got one in the form yeah. of X-Men 2000, directed by Brian Singer. I think they kind of owe the popularity of the cartoon to that. A lot of it, yeah. A lot of it. I think that being such a prominent and like everyone loving that series and seeing what the X-Men could actually do, like they were like, all right, yeah, let's make this a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So here we are. And then we got an X-Men film and it was treated... For the first time, I think, in in when it comes to movies like this, kind of seriously, kind yeah. of dramatically, very interested in the human drama of it all, which was very fitting with the uh, franchise, the X-Men franchise. So it uh, took a lot of people by surprise, I think, and did really, really well at the box office. And I think it's safe to say we would not be where we are now 
superhero movie wise if this thing had not done what it did I don't think so either. 100% agree. 100%, yeah. It laid the groundwork for everything. I mean, even up until this time, no one was really thinking about superhero team-up movies. And getting this off the ground was some massive endeavor. I mean, you're talking yeah. about a cast of at least, what, seven, eight, nine major characters? Yeah. And a lot of these stars weren't stars at the time. No, you so. Jackman was nobody. Yeah. Nobody. And he got he cast like three weeks into. into. Yeah. yeah. So it, he was nobody. He was just like how like Chris Hemsworth was. Replacing? Star. Like, well, yeah. Replacing? Yeah. You guys know who he who he replaced? Oh. Uh, Doug Gray Scott? That is correct. Yeah. 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 Got my cred there. We but can who, thank uh, Mission Impossible 2 for that here's, one. <laughs> exactly. But here's the here's other piece of trivia. Who was the director's first choice for the role? And oh, and who we oh, owe oh, Hugh Jackman to? Oh, Russell Crowe. That is Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. That is correct. And Russell Crowe recommended Hugh Jackman, and there we are. And yeah. it's just so funny because yeah. I remember <laughs> when that was announced, everybody was like, "Who?" And then there was a joke going around calling him Hugh Jackass because he looked nothing like Wolverine. Nothing. You, you know, Hugh Jackman as we see him now, tall. Wolverine's kind of squat. He was very lithe at the time that he started. Wolverine is very bulky. People were just, and then some pictures leaked of him in the costume, and everybody was just like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, the buzz around yeah. this was not very good. I no. mean, it was up and down. It was just a different time. And it's it's just so funny because we're in an era now where the MCU has taken over everything. Everybody knows Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. The X-Men were the biggest comics franchise around i mean like they were the most popular characters in the space i think so. and wolverine was yeah. the most popular among all of them yeah and to cast someone who was, was one nobody. unknown yeah. and two had this kind of a backlash it's not a great way to start to buzz yeah. on a movie as ambitious as this that yeah. said two outstanding pieces of casting from the very beginning i think at this time and even now if you said who should play professor x if the first name that didn't that come to your mind was not patrick stewart i don't even know what yeah like that was when they announced that it was just like oh yeah it was a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, perfect. That was a fan casting for yeah. years. And I was like, yeah, who else would do it? And Absolutely nobody, nobody. McKellen turned out to be a really good yes. Magneto, too. Yes. Perfect. And his biggest film up until that time was Gods and Monsters, mm-hmm. which snagged him an Oscar nomination, but no one really knew how who he was outside yeah. the art circuit. I think he was cast circuit. in Lord of the Rings while they were shooting they, this Yeah, film. they had to like make time for him to do both. Yeah. Like, yeah. so he could do both, but... Oh. So, so that was the stage that was set, and then the movie arrives. And so let's dive into the plot, you all. We start off with some Holocaust imagery, because yeah. that's how you want to kick off a that's fun That's how you want to start a superhero movie. Well, no, and uh, like, <laughs> to be fair, like, you know, the, the theme of X-Men has always been this idea of alienation and prejudice against mutants and all this stuff. In the comics, it's been a constant thing. So to tie it to that directly from the jump, I think, was a really smart move, uh, especially when you're trying to woo non-comics readers. Absolutely. It made such a huge statement because all superhero films, I would say before that, were campy. Yep. Just real real high camp or completely fantastical. And this... It kind of grounded it into like a real world. Like you, and starting with the villain, I thought was an interesting choice too. Like to start with that, and then we go from there and humanizing him from the start, right? Because you kind of throughout the story, you get why he's doing what he's doing. Like it's like the same thing as like a Killmonger, where you're like, I get it. Like it's wrong. Way you're going about it is wrong, but I get you. Like, (laughs) well, you know what they say, right? I mean, a really good baddie is not really a villain. Well, they and I think, think that, they're the hero in their own story. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, in the movies, in superhero movies up to this point, you didn't get that. 
No. You know, Lex Luthor was always bad in the Superman films. And, you know, not that we have much else to go on, but like Stephen Dorff in Blade was not a sympathetic villain. They were You're just forgetting bad. Mr. Freeze. I'm forgetting Mr. You're Freeze. You're the eminent Purposely Mr. Freeze. Yes. Forgetting Mr. Do Freeze, not yes. forget about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it was a little bit in the ba- in the Batman films, but this was the most definite like shades of gray that we had been given up to this point. So obviously we see Eric Lencher separated from his family as a boy and the first manifestation of his powers cut to Rogue. Rogue. Uh, played by Anna Paquin. Uh, making out and the consequences of that as they always are when you kiss bad. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean Call an ambulance. <laughs> sex is bad. Sex Apparently. will kill you. Yeah, yeah. Sex will kill yes. you. That's that's actually If a serial killer doesn't kill you in the woods, you will suck the life out of the person you're kissing. That's exactly that's right. That's the moral of the story. Yes. That is exactly true. So yeah. Rogue puts a boy in a coma. <laughs> so here we have two mutants first at different times manifesting their powers. And this kind of plays into the aspect of the whole mutant phenomenon which is that these are normal people who suddenly experience incredibly abnormal things happening to them and how how that is dealt with um so after that we go to we go to congress um the halls of congress so this is this is it's really interesting because immediately they jump right into one of the major themes of the x-men comics which is humans and mutants can they coexist? And mutants' rights. M- right, mutants and mutants' rights, rights yeah. Yeah. Uh, where we have Jean Grey giving a presentation before Congress and uh, about mutants and why we should all try to get along. And then there's Bruce Davison, Senator Kelly, who is like, I'm an a-hole. And <laughs> no way. I'm an a-hole. <laughs> um, as much as Magneto is the villain of the film, this is the most blatant villain, I guess, in a sense, because there's really not that much that's sympathetic about him. No, no, he's pretty black and white. He, yeah. he is, yeah. Racists are always bad. So <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. We can. But then we get, right after this, we get the first uh, Magneto Professor X scene, which is great. Whatever are you looking for? I'm looking for hope. I will bring you hope, old friend. And I ask only one thing in return. Don't get in my way. First of all, seeing Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen acting on screen together, a joy. Yes. And then it lays out very clearly the the philosophical differences between them. Professor X wants to coexist. Magneto thinks that's impossible and that mutants therefore have to look out for themselves. And that conversation right from the beginning, it just it lays out the the philosophical basis of the film and the the conflict that's going to come from it and it's just it's so good. Any scene with those two together. Yeah. You could just feel the relationship like between them, yeah. like the history, like through just like a few lines and just them like talking and dialoguing. I'm like, yeah, you can feel the history like that these people once had a friendship and because of their different methodologies, they had to split up and go separate ways. Yeah, it was interesting how that short scene really set up so much about right? sort of the context of it. Yeah. Set up the two pillars of the movie, which would eventually be the franchise. Right. But also, I'm not sure if you noticed the way that scene was shot. It was against a backdrop of all these exes. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were on this sort of runway, this sort of catwalk, and sort of all the metal beams behind them all formed these excess. I thought it was a very subtle visual nod. Yeah, and then from there, we jump again. We're just jumping all over the place, uh, which kind of actually is good because it, it this gets across like the thing of the global nature of the mutant phenomenon. So we jump to Canada. There's a cage match going on. Rogue is on the run, and this is our first view of Wolverine. Hey. Wolverine. 
right? Cage fighting for cash. And really beastly too. Yeah, yeah. which which fit. And really I think animalistic, yeah. For all of us, for any of us, I didn't really, I was kind of like a, a very much as I am now a wait and see kind of person, but a lot of people who had doubts about Hugh Jackman, I think this scene put those to rest very quickly. Yeah. You know, he's shirtless, he's buff, he's kicking ass. He's, he's feral. He's, he's smoking feral. cigars. Smoking a cigar. He's you know. a cigar, yeah. Yeah. And and also it, it also kind of this is where they kind of establish that they're taking the stuff from the comics seriously and not trying to dumb it down for the movies, you know, his adamantium skeleton and stuff like that. It just it it felt very faithful. Yeah. And I agree. It, as we get our this is where, you know, we're in the very beginning of the first act of the movie for those of us who are at the time, you never know, right? Is this movie going to respect the comics? Is it going to make mincemeat out of it? And and you start to get a feel for that something is going on with this film. Yeah, it was a really mm-hmm. skeptical audience at this point. I mean, everyone's been burned so much by yeah. all the superhero movies that came before Yeah, that you're just wondering, are they going to do this justice? And you're absolutely right. By this point, you're thinking, okay, they're going deep into the whole allegory of discrimination, disenfranchisement and everything. And by this point, you realize, oh, wow, they're really taking this seriously. There's nothing here that is, uh, is, is a wink to right. anything. So then, very quickly, we get Rogue and Wolverine coming together. They get attacked by Sabretooth. They fight. Wolverine loses, which starts his theme in this movie franchise that I will harp on later. That <laughs> he never wins any fight he's in with he with superpower with another superpowered being. He kicks a lot of mortal ass or whatever you call Homo sapien ass, but he very rarely wins an actual fight with another superpowered being. But we'll get to that. So and I then, wanted to put this out there too, though. By the way. Sabretooth's eyebrows. Some serious trimming needed there, huh? Right? Uh, yeah, Sabretooth. It's like, have you ever heard of eyebrow threading? Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I mean come on. Me. Where's where's the X-Men makeup artist and when this, you need well, that? This is, and this is where yeah. it's interesting with Sabretooth and with Toad. I think did, if this movie came out today, some of the design around it would be a little different. Sabretooth yeah. was a little over the top for our modern standards. But this is what people thought of comic book movies yeah. at the time. You had to have this outlandish... And Toad Look was a little DIY, right? Yes. Yeah, he's just a little like, throw Park. some like the great Ray Park, on Ray Park, who was having a moment after Phantom Menace. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Mm. yeah, but anyway, so this sets up a big. Okay, so we see Storm and Cyclops for the first time, and this sets up a bi- the big first set piece, which is Wolverine at the school for the gifted, meeting everybody, and basically everything getting explained about Xavier's perspective and what he's doing about it, and introducing all the other X Men. So what did you guys think of, of the introduction of characters like Cyclops and Storm and Jean Grey in a more mutant context? More mutant context? Yeah. I, I mean, I I thought it was, I, I liked a lot of, like, I liked Rogue a lot. I liked that they de-aged her and she was more of a teenager. So we kind of got to see that perspective because part of X-Men is also kind of an allegory for puberty and growing up and maturing and, like, discovering our own bodies and what that means. And I liked that they kind of de-aged her and kind of used her as kind of like a scepter for all of that throughout this. Yeah. Absolutely. And also for me, I was really giddy as a fan because I realized this movie is talking to the fans because yeah. I was trying to spot all of the mutants that I knew and I was like, oh, hey, that's Kitty Pride. Hey, right. I think that's I Jubilee. Jubilee. Yeah, when I saw you know, like, But they never Jubilee. named yeah. them. And, and I realized, like you know what? Yeah, this is going... Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then you think, okay, this is going deeper than you think it is and then you take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. The cynicism of Wolverine as he's being explained, oh, look at this wonderful place and he's just like, give me a break. Right, because there's that scene where he's, you know, this is 
Aurora Monroe, <laughs> a.k.a. Storm. And this is Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. And he's like, this is ridiculous. You know, and I think that... Who are you, wheels? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the line. Yeah, like, yeah. Professor and I S. love that line, too. It's just like such a cute like little like Wolverine line. I'm like, yeah, totally. Yeah, originally <laughs> scripted as who are you, Baldy. What do they call you? Wheels? Yes. Wheels was a... Improv. Improv by Hugh Jackman. And it's just, it's, it's just a great introduction to Xavier's School for the Gifted and to these other characters. After that, there's after this whole montage, we meet Iceman for the first time, who will go on to play a much larger role in mm-hmm. later films, but here is primarily to serve as a potential love interest for Rogue and kind of her uh, nice entree into this world. Um, he keeps her drinks cold, too. He does, yes. yeah. Gives he gives her a little a good glass purpose. of rose. Ice flower. Yeah, oh, that absolutely. was sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I like... want my latte to be an ice latte, Bobby. That's right. Yeah, he's a good boyfriend. He's helpful. There like, you go. He's helpful. Right? He can keep me cold. He can get me cold drinks. Right, yeah. And like then when you're taking a break, she can go to Pyro, get all her stuff cooked. That's right. Then switch back to... <laughs> really, she yeah. kind of dropped the yeah. ball on not playing both sides of that fence, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. She's inexperienced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we cut away from this. This wonderful time to Senator Kelly, once again, a jerk. Uh, and this is our introduction to, in his helicopter, right? He's flying away with his uh, associate. And this is our introduction to Mystique. Rebecca Romain Stamos's Mystique, who, surprise, his associate is not his associate. It's Mystique, who can take the form of anything. Rebecca Romain Stamos apparently had a terrible time shooting this movie because of all the makeup effects but I thought she looked cool. I, I thought she looked amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I she had like a hundred and twenty or something crazy prosthetics, like, and they she couldn't drink certain things because it would like affect the glue a certain way. It sounds like a total nightmare, but it was effective. Like I love practical effects. I love practical makeup, and she did like she embodied Mystique. Like that jumped right from the comic book for right. me. What do you guys think of the characterization from Mystique here? Because she looks different from how she looked in the comics. Yes, she does. But also, she was really bizarre. The way that the character was, I liked it. Was envisioned here, sort of a little reptilian, yeah, uh, chameleon esque, very, very yeah. chameleon esque, and, and just weird. I liked it. I thought it was cool. I thought it gave a little bit something to Mystique's character. Like, is she always? I like that she looked like a mutant because that's right. part of it that she's proud of being a mutant. So I think it gave it like a little extra something to give her some scales, to give her some kind of like mutant-esque quality so she didn't look just like a pretty ass Romaine, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Yeah. Like, and I remember she also says in that scene something to the effect of it's people like you yes. that made, made me, me scared heard. to want to go to school. Yeah, These people are obviously the villains of the film, but the real villain is prejudice and hate real villain is society exactly (laughs) Um, each other everybody that's right that's right so senator kelly gets kidnapped after getting kicked in the face uh we cut back briefly to uh the school where we learn about wolverine right and Mm -hmm. gene gray does some medical tests and they have a little flirty flirty which launches a thousand ships that were already out there from the comics but you know uh watching famke jansen and hugh jackman flirt is inherently entertaining yeah. <laughs> um, and then we learned about Wolverine's adamantium <laughs> skeleton and his healing factor and all that stuff. That's kind of a side because then we cut back to uh, Magneto and Kelly and we kind of learn something's going on. Magneto has a machine that does something. Something. 
and we don't know what. It spins very fast. It does spin very fast. It looks like that cyclone thing from the carnival when I was a kid that I was terrified of. Absolutely does. That's what it looks like. That scared the shit out of me. Was yours powered by Magneto too? It might have been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maybe I could have gotten weird mutant powers and turned to jelly. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. No, it's okay. (laughs) So, uh, because then we cut back to the the mansion again. So basically we're bouncing forth, back and forth right now between the the Brotherhood of Mutants and uh, the X-Men team. Uh, we have Wolverine having a nasty nightmare about his past, as we all know, horribly experimented on by the Weapon X program, not named in this film, but we kind of see flashes of it. Rogue comes into his room for some reason and gets clawed, right? And then she takes his powers to heal herself, uh, thereby putting Wolverine in a coma, which is not that big a deal because he can heal. Yay. Um, cut back to the Brotherhood of Mutants. And now we learn what Magneto's machine does, right? Because Kelly is in his cell and he gets up to the... Yeah, he gets all squishy. (laughs) He He turns into Kelly Jelly. Hey! There we go! I like it. That sounds like jello shots that I had at my last party. Oh, no. no, There we go. I don't want to do jello shots. They were also clear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so if you have an X-Men party, you can make Kelly Jelly shots. Absolutely. There you go. Everyone just comes dressed as Mystique. There we and are. they can serve the Kelly jelly. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> so he's squishy, and this is the idea, right? Magneto wants to mutate people so that, or humans, Homo sapiens, so that everybody's a mutant, or at least the important people are mutants, and then nobody will be prejudiced against mutants because they are. Um, Good plan. Flawless plan. Flawless <laughs> Nothing plan. wrong with that. No, World peace. Yeah. World peace. Yeah, that's think, how you make it. Just make everyone the same. Absolutely. <laughs> because that's because the thing is that humans who are all the same have not found a reason to fight for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. There's been total peace among humans. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, yeah. But whatever. Yep. As a comic book movie, so pl- as a supervillain plot goes, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty good one, I think, because it's like... First of all, it's very human in its, in its scale. He's not doing this to the world. He's not going to blow up the earth. He's not going to launch a volcano that you know wipes out New York City. Right. This is this is a very in keeping with the X Men theme, a very human goal to have. Yeah, he's not blatantly evil. Right. You don't yeah. get that impression. Yeah. No, there's you don't. a method to that madness. There's a method to the madness. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you kind of understand it. You're like, yeah, I kind of see. Again, you're going about this in the wrong way, yeah. but in the crazy way, but I get you. <laughs> and so then here we have this thing where we are under the impression that Magneto is after Wolverine. Spoiler warning. I said under the impression. Um, <laughs> right. So they're, they're, they're back at the mansion. They're like, how do we keep Wolverine safe? Meanwhile, Bobby comes in as a total dick to Rogue and is like you shouldn't have done that you should run away but it's not Bobby it's Mystique got yellow eyes you know you would think I mean if they don't go into the backstory here of Xavier's past with Mystique you would think they would have some kind of safeguards against that type of thing if you're Xavier but don't think about that right uh, now let's just move on Uh, (laughs) he found a way so Rogue Rogue runs away and then we get our first uh, intro to Cerebro which is a very key thing from the comics, uh, Xavier's mutant finding machine, more or less. Um, very cool sequence, I yeah. thought, especially for the time. And we have to remember, you were talking about practical effects before, mm-hmm. Aaron. Like this, there was CGI in this era, but it was nowhere no, near yeah. the level where we are now. So there was a lot of when you see something like Cerebro, it's kind of 
nowadays you'd be like, oh, well, whatever. They CGI'd some stuff. But back then it was like, whoa, this is cool looking. Yeah. And I think now even rewatching it, it holds up. Like yeah. it doesn't look too like, oh, this is like wonky effects. Like I'm like, no, this actually still looks pretty visually impressive. Like yeah. not even just for the time. Like this is actually pretty good. Like, and Wolverine delivers one of his best lines. This certainly is a big round room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, again. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of that. It's it's weirdly, and there's another line that comes later that we'll talk about later, having to do with acknowledging kind of the the I don't want to say sillier elements, the more fantastical, the fantastical elements, elements of the comics, <laughs> but just being like, you know what, just just go along with it. You know, yeah, it's just okay. Go with it. it's, I mean, Cerebro is pretty much like the find my iPhone, like find my friends of right. like <laughs> the <laughs> the mutant worst. That so. is true. Yeah. Exactly. That's where Steve Jobs got his idea. Right? Yeah. yeah, he was watching this and he's like, yeah. find my friends, Cerebro. But you know, Adam, you zeroed <laughs> on a really good point, which is that Wolverine is the eyes of the audience. Yeah, so like he is. the whole skeptical viewer. Thinking, what? They're going to wear yellow spandex kind of thing? No, they're not yeah. going to do that. Wait Your a minute. They have names? Audience, like, insert yeah. person, like, the straight man, kind of, like, there to react with us and kind of be, like, the conduit that we'll, like, kind of undersee and understand things. Yeah. So, so, uh, so they find, and this, here comes a big set piece, right? This is, Rogue is getting on a train to leave. And here comes a big, big set piece where, first of all, it starts very quietly. We have Rogue and Wolverine having a very, uh, interesting discussion in which he kind of tells her she should stay even though he's a loner she doesn't have to be blah 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 blah. and then magneto shows up and this is first of all another you know it's all these little things about they really thought in this movie about the powers that the mutants had and how they could be used because having wolverine who has a metal skeleton we've established facing off against the master of magnetism not the best thing and he gets his ass kicked but it turns out Surprise, Magneto's not after him. Yeah, oh, Wolverine God. was always so self-centered. Yeah, man. All yeah. about him. But everybody he thought, thought it was. It about was. Him. Xavier thought it was about him. Everybody thought so. But surprise, it's Rogue. He wants Rogue. And this is this scene contains, I don't know, I'm jumping the gun here, but this is my favorite line in the entire film. When Magneto shoots, Rogue tries to run away. And Magneto shoots her with the, the tranquilizer needle. And then there's just a shot of Ian McKellen looking disappointed. And he goes, young people. <laughs> and I use that so much in my old age. Because it's it's just like, oh, that's so perfect. It, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you wearing a cape and a helmet they, when you say that, too? No. And yes, this is you also should. The, yeah, they so listen to you more when you do. Yes. We have seen Magneto's helmet, sure. iconic helmet, up to this point sitting on his desk. This is the first time wearing it. I thought it looked cool. I thought um, it looked cool it too. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it looked cool. I think all the costume design in this is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, actually, noticed like, the first scene with Magneto. He was in a purple suit. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and He's I very love consistent. that suit. Absolutely. So then we get our big train station fight. Right, we see, and again, just the the cool nods to things like Scott losing his visor and he can't control his eyes, and, and then what I think is is one of the best scenes in the film, which is Magneto and his henchmen have Rogue. They have defeated the X-Men and they start walking out and all the cops are there, right? And Magneto's like, well, cops, you, and he says the other great line, you homo sapiens and your guns. And then he takes all the guns and points them at the cops and then suddenly Sabretooth grabs his neck and is like, let her go, Eric. And this is just the, it's not even, they're not even in the same scene, but it's just so smart. The way that the, the the powers of Xavier and Magneto are used in this scene, um, 
you know, Xavier being able to get into people's heads, make them do what he wants them to do. Magneto having total control over metal so he can do something like shoot a bullet at somebody and stop it right as it's touching the guy in the head. And what does that mean? And how do we deal with that and all this stuff? And it's just a really, really great use of those two mutants abilities um, in my mind. And there's tension. There's great tension to it. I, yeah. I, I love this scene so I do. much. I, yeah. I love this scene too. And I like that when he's like, how far do you want to push it? Because he's like, and Magneto's like ready to do it again with yeah. like more bullets and more he's guns. Like, like, I don't think I can stop all of them. Yep. Like it's a good like push and pull between those two because they really are the pillars of the franchise. And this movie is really kind of centered around their relationship. That's kind of like the background of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is where we also get the indication that Magneto's helmet is what keeps Xavier from getting in his head. Yes. Right. Because he points to his head. Right. Right. Like, can't mm-hmm. read my mind. Um, <laughs> but then Rogue gets kidnapped and that's the end of that. So now we're, we're, we're moving towards a climax and we're going to we're going to take this thing home because there's not a lot of plot summary left. Um, Senator Kelly dies by turning into goo um, water, basically. And the upshot of that is that Magneto's process is not stable. It doesn't turn yeah. people into mutants. It kills them. I like his conversation with Storm, too, before he dies. Yes. Senator Kelly. Do you hate normal people? I'm afraid of them. Well, I think you've got one less person to be afraid of. It kind of gave him like a little bit of catharsis, like a moment at the end, like, oh, he's not all bad, maybe. <laughs> like, and it also gave Storm a scene because I thought yeah. she was so underutilized. She was or very underutilized in this movie. Yeah, that yeah, was I, my one point of like, I wish they did more with Storm. I mean, she might have been, I, I, <laughs> I don't know, Storm. I have to look back, but the higher prof- one of the higher profile actors she in was, the past, yeah. Halle, Halle Berry, and just, in fact, saddled with, with, a, with a rough, Road a hoe, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't get me started on the bangs. Yeah, uh, yeah. They did a better job nah. with their hair later Storm on. is one of the more popular X-Men characters, and I think, I personally don't think they still haven't, I think they still have not done this character as much justice as should be done in any yeah. of these movies. Up to Bring her into the point. Black Panther universe, please. Or something. Please. Give her own film. <laughs> I think a Storm her own film, film yeah. I, she can carry her own film. She like, absolutely she's, could. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was she already in the James Bond film by this time? She was, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think so. mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she was, yeah. yeah. So she was a big she deal. She was a pretty Kind big of a big star. deal. So Kelly dies. That's gross. Um, but surprise, Mystique has uh, sabotaged Cerebro. So Professor X gets taken out, which is a nice way of putting the impetus for everything on the X-Men. Yeah. Right, characters that we know because Professor X is kind of OP'd, honestly, um, for this <laughs> particular scenario. So, Jean uses Cerebro to her great pain, but finds out where Rogue is. And this is all going down at the Statue of Liberty because there's this UN summit, all the world leaders are going to be there. Magneto is going to turn world leaders into mutants so that they have to decide things that are pro mutant, but he doesn't know that his machine is just going to kill people. He's going to use Rogue. He's going to give his powers to Rogue so she can power the machine so he doesn't die doing it. And uh, Which, again, is a thing that gets called out actually later, which is really cool. Um, and we all convene at the Statue of Liberty. This is where we get a few things. We get our look at the X-Men's costumes, which are not like our full first full look at the X-Men's costumes, which are black leather, as opposed to... Uh, Yellow. yellow spandex, yellow. which is a, the a line. <laughs> I don't know. At the time, everybody appreciated this line a lot. Like, you know. Uh, what do you want? Yellow yeah, spandex? what do you want? Yellow spandex. <laughs> and, and 
I, it was a laugh line. It was a good laugh line. I don't know how people feel about it now in a post-Marvel world where they basically duplicated the costumes from the comics yeah. on screen and made it look cool. At the time, it was kind of the idea was that you couldn't do that. Yeah. And so we get that line. I don't think they were ready to try yeah. yet. I think that they tried to go down the route of we're going to establish ourselves as an entirely different piece of entertainment based on these comic books you like, but make it our own. Yeah. Right. And, and not appear too faithful in a way that suddenly felt like they were doing it the disservice. Yeah. Because yeah. this isn't based on a comic. This is an original story, which right. all the other movies yes. forward are based around mm-hmm. some portion of a storyline from a comic. So yeah. this was like them really trying to like distinguish the movie apart from the comic, but like still pay homage to it. Right. Yeah. And respect. Have it be its own canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So big fight happens at the Statue of Liberty. Everybody's fighting Toad and Sabretooth hey. and Mystique and some cool stuff is going down. Mystique impersonates Wolverine, uh, which is fun. But then Wolverine comes and chops her fake claws off, which is cool. Um <laughs> and then there's this big uh, that's you know Storm gets her big power moment where she blows the windows out and blows Toad away, but she also gets one of the worst lines in the franchise, <laughs> and that's saying a lot considering where this franchise ends up at some point, which is it's an a Joss Whedon line on it is top a Joss of everything line. because he had written a draft of the script, and the only two things that were kept were the yellow spandex line and this one and this one. Do you know what happens to a Toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Is it? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. No way. No way. Man. I learned that in school. Oh. Talk about the yeah. setup. In biology. Yeah. This is like the, an alley-oop that just goes over the backboard and for a basketball yeah. analogy there. Uh, what? what a line. Yeah. That was like, difficult to watch. Because yeah. we were all just watching it and just like, what? well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. You know, and, and I was watching Halle Berry's face the whole time, just thinking, she's yeah, like, Son of a bitch. I have to say, I mean, we have, I hate to I'm harp on that because we're celebrating these movies. So let's celebrate the fact <laughs> yeah. that that line sticks out in an otherwise great, uh, well written film. It, it we provided its humor. humor. Yeah. It was there we a, go. a break yeah. for humor. There yeah. you go. There we are. <laughs> um, you can spin it. <laughs> and then the climax of all this happens on top of the Statue of Liberty with Magneto putting Rogue in the machine. She's going to do it. Wolverine's fighting, and he gets the one of the great lines here, which is, uh, you know, Magneto talking about how selfless he's, he wants peace in the world. Mag- and Wolverine's like, you're full of shit. If you were really so selfless, that'd be you up there in that machine. And so we see, even though Magneto has depth, he's still ultimately not willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. He's, he's putting it on someone else, yeah. right? Machine, machine, machine. Wolverine breaks it. Flies. Yes, he flies <laughs> with the help of Storm. Storm and uh, uh, Gene. Gene, yes. And Gene. And, uh, <laughs> The X-Men win. Yay. Yay. Go yeah. X-Men. Uh, Rogue gets a stripe in her hair. Rogue gets a stripe yes, in her hair. That's the origin of the stripe. Indeed. There we are. Indeed. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, Thankfully. At least canon, at last, canon is respected. Uh, you know, and then we get our denim all, Like Wolverine's at the school for mutants. You're on his own trying to find out what's up. The school for mutants. Rogue is at the school for mutants. She's doing better. Uh, and then another just, just, oh man, there could not have been a better way to end this film, I think. And if you haven't guessed by now, I'm totally, I totally stand Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in scenes together. But the movie ends with a scene. Magneto is being kept in a plastic prison, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And he's playing chess with Xavier. And they're discussing, again, kind of their philosophy of how to do all this stuff. And it is just great. It was. I actually remember watching it and getting a flashback to Silence of the Lambs. 
mm. thinking, okay, there's a little bit of a Hannibal Lecter They're thing going on yeah. here with sort of the plastic and everything. But you're right, though, the dynamic of these two mm-hmm. just really grounded that scene and gave the film chess. a really good finish. Yeah, the yeah. chess the element chess was really good. Like, yep. I'm like, oh, this is so smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just, good. And it, it sets it up perfectly for any further sequels down the line. Because again, we've got this eternal question of whether it's better to attempt to coexist or to win the war yeah. that is possible to happen. And let's also remember that this, the ending here also deepened the storyline for Wolverine. So yeah. it, it sort of put, plants all those seeds for any other sequels. You know this is going to go deep into the Wolverine mythology. Yeah. yeah. It kind of teases it. And I like when he gives Rogue his dog tags as they like, keep these safe for me. Cause I like that their relationship was a big part of this film. Too. Yeah. Like they're kind of like father daughter esque relationship, which was something I think Wolverine had more with Jubilee in the comic. In the comics. Book. Yes. But this yeah. is, they, they substituted here and you know, both actors are great. Uh, it really works. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So that's kind of the plot of the movie. We've done this a little bit, but this is the part of the podcast where we go around and talk about our favorite scenes, our favorite lines. So Aaron, why don't you go first? What's your what's your what are your highlights from X-Men? Um, I there's a lot of favorite scenes. I love the Wolverine on Wolverine fight and near the end. That's one of my favorites. And it has one of my favorite lines after when he like approaches like Cyclops and I think it's Storm after and they're oh, like, yes. Hey, hey, it's me. Prove it. You're a dick. Okay. Okay. Let's that was go the on. other Joss Whedon line. I'm sorry. <laughs> that lo- was the yeah, one. Yeah, I think that was a Joss Whedon line. It yes. feels very Joss Whedon esque. I love that. Like little. I love him and Cyclops. Just the entire movie. Just their kind of like banter back and forth, and the fact that they just don't like each other over kind of just a girl. Yeah. Um, other no other reason than that. See, see, I, I can go to very specific scenes. Like you know, I loved every scene that had you know Mystique. I thought it was really really catchy and and interesting, but. When I rewatched this, I realized that the scenes that I really loved were the ones that really zeroed in on the discrimination. And that was pretty groundbreaking for a superhero movie because it was an, such a deep allegory, I think, and using these characters and how alienated they were um, as a metaphor for so many things out there. Yeah. Hate, homophobia, racism, just all of that. I think that's why Rogue was a good choice, too, because she's the most alienated because she can't Absolutely. touch anyone. Right. And, yeah. and that's exactly what Stan Lee and later on Chris Claremont really tried to highlight in the comics. And so I love the scene when it opens you know, in the Capitol and you see Jean Grey making case in Congress and then it's peppered throughout. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We will yeah. discuss this in other elements of this pod- of subsequent episodes of the podcast, but it gets drilled in even more in... Um, X2, 
you know, when Bobby Drake mm-hmm. is asked by his parents, and I'm paraphrasing, something oh, like, have you tried scene. not to be a mutant? But this lays a groundwork for all of that, that, hey, we're asking big questions here, and it can be done in big, yeah. you know, pop culture, big popular popular entertainment. It doesn't mean it ha- it can't be thought-provoking. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I liked about this movie. It had so many of those scenes. You know, the scene with Mystique in the helicopter where she was saying she was scared to go to school because of all of this. It's it's big questions and legitimate questions, but couched in a way that made it palatable for people. They didn't feel like you were bludgeoning it, bludgeoning them with it over yeah. the head with mm-hmm. it. Yeah, like they they went serious with it, but not too serious. Like they skirted the line really nicely, where it, they used all those heavy themes but made it work, and they made comic books I think palatable to like a mainstream audience. And I think it's the human element too. I mean, this yeah. is this is one of the things that people love about the X Men in the comics, and I think it's even more here because it's not as dressed in span in yellow spandex, mm-hmm. so to speak. But as opposed to like a Superman. Or even a Batman who's a larger-than-life character or Spider-Man who wears a colorful costume and, you know, whatever. He's still small-scale, but, like, these are people above all else, right? right? They are just people who have some weird differences about them and how do you deal with that and how does society deal with that? And they really, they nailed that element in this movie really, really well and and made that very, very clear. And I think that's why it resonated, right? Because it's, it's not... You're not trying to save the world. You're trying to live in it, you know, in a, in a matter yeah. of speaking. I would go far as to say that I think the Dark Knight trilogy owes a huge debt to X-Men yeah. for showing that superhero movies can be serious and pose big questions and be yeah. handled in a way that was yeah. straightforward and dark and non-campy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to it, like the human element, I think the reason I think Rogue Six in my head, I was a teenage girl when I saw this movie and mm. I was going through a lot of the same, not I uh, was a mutant, but like kind of felt like I was one. And I connected a lot with her and her story. Did you and have I, a stripe in your hair too? I did actually. Aww. I did have rogue-esque hair because I loved rogue. Um, nice. I had a rogue like jacket too. Um, but I just connected with her and I still do. Like rewatching it is obviously an adult now. I'm like, it's still like brings back those feelings and those emotions. And I think that's what this movie does so successfully is that you feel the human aspect of it. Like, you connect to these characters. Like, we may not be mutants, but we all have something that we go through to try to fit in with society. So, and I feel like it really does that really well. Yeah. I, my, my favorite scene is still the final one. You know this plastic prison of theirs won't hold me forever. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. And I will always be there, old friend. Patrick Stewart was such a no-brainer for Professor X. And even that, even on top of that, he nails it so hard. And then Ian McKellen is brilliant just in general. And just really, I I think they just get the dichotomy between these two characters so well. And the friendship that can exist even while they, you know, are are diametrically opposed in how they want to approach this mutant problem. And with the chess and everything and the fact that it's in a plastic prison because that's how they have to keep Magneto it's just so perfectly constructed it's kind of like when you write when you start to learn writing they're like you know tell them what you're going to tell them tell them what you tell them and then tell them what you told them and this movie does that really well from the very beginning with that scene between them we get here's what this is about then we get what it's about and at the end they're like here's what this was all about and here's where it's going to go from here and uh, it's just so it's just nice. It's it's and it's and it's not a big action scene, right? It's it's no. two guys seated at a table talking philosophy and 
foreshadowing that's what I love in later Marvel films as well. So this is not an unusual <laughs> thing for me to no. be a big fan of that of that particular scene. So that's kind of the wrap up of, of what happens in the movie. Now, normally we would talk about where this kind of sits in the X-Men timeline, but it's pretty obvious, right? This is the first one. And launched almost the entire era of superhero movies that we're in now. Uh, it really it, did. It had a seventy-five million dollar budget, which was pretty low for a blockbuster summer, you know, a summer tentpole film at the time. Ended up making domestically, I think, I want to say, a hundred and fifty-seven million dollars, hundred fifty-seven point three million dollars domestically. Huge success. It's crazy to think that it was a huge success. I know. Like now that like Avengers crossing the two point whatever yeah, that's billion like a day line. Of yeah. Avengers. <laughs> I know. That was like one theater but at Avengers. More, but it more than doubled its budget, you yeah, know, dom- domestically alone. And then worldwide it made like almost three hundred million dollars, which again nowadays is not that big a deal. But at the time for a superhero film, yeah. a comic book based film to do that was unheard of. But no one really knew how to do this. I mean, they yeah. were inventing the wheel at that they time. They really were. Yeah. But it's so funny because now we have the benefit of hindsight because yes. we've got Endgame and right. how successful Endgame was in really building that up over the course of 10 years. And you've got 22 films. I remember thinking as I was watching this, this is the exact reverse engineering of what the Avengers yeah. Infinity Saga did. They introduced each character, you know, and had them all lead up to a team up film. This was the exact opposite. You're introducing everybody in one go. Yeah. And then the idea was to pick them off, hence right. Wolverine Origins and everything. So it's yeah. interesting to see how sort of these ended up being the bookends yeah. of what we see now as sort of all the superhero films in the new millennium. Right. And when we see some of the weaknesses of that, I mean, we talked about Storm being underserved. I mean, Wolverine is definitely the main character of this film, uh, followed maybe secondly by Rogue. Um, so there's not a lot for the other X-Men to do. They, they do show up and they, they do have their moments, but it, it's just, an, you're right, it's an interesting look at that model versus the model we have now where we would have had maybe had a Wolverine movie first and a Storm movie first, and then, so yeah, it's the yeah, X-Men. Professor X origin yeah. film. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so, <sighs> Warvis. <laughs> Give Warvis a break. Right. Where, maybe, I don't know. Where did our team rank X-Men in the pantheon of X-Men films? In Sci-Fi Wire's official ranking of all of the X-Men movies, the first X-Men ranks number three out of 11, just ahead of Deadpool and just behind X2, X-Men United. Number three. How do you guys feel about that? I think it's pretty fair. fair. I actually am fine with that. It wasn't the best movie out there, but it was a damn good one to start with. It was a good one, and it was a good starting point, too. Like They had like set the table pretty nicely for Mm -hmm. them to only go up from there. And they do. I think X2 is phenomenal. Like I think they took the foundation that X-Men started and like did it times 10 in the next one. Yeah. Watching it again now, I mean, you can see a little bit of clunkiness because the... Nobody, like you said, nobody knew how to do a movie like no. this at this point. And some of the effects work is a little dated. You know, we're talking 20 years ago, which is crazy, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. It does a better job, I think, even than some modern films of serving, of providing fan service without making it feel like fan service. Yeah. Like all the little moments that call out to all these things that we've come to know and love about these characters feel very organic. They don't stick out like, oh, this is the part where they're really, you know, the Wolverine fans, look what we're doing for you. It's just part yeah. and parcel of how his character is developed in the movie. And I, I thought that was great. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, ha- I have a couple films that I I really only have. No, I do have a couple films that I would put above this. But for a first go, great job. 
great and job. great cast that they put together. Yeah, yeah it you was an admit, overall great. You know, cast. Even if some yeah. were a little underserved here, but a lot of these people weren't stars yeah. at the time. And I think it sort of shifted the model a little bit to superhero movies to say, you know what, the focus of this is going to be on the character, not, right. not the, the person playing yeah. them. Because before that, you know, it was all so star driven. Right. All the Batman movies were just built on, you know, what is there the were biggest star vehicles? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get Arnold Schwarzenegger in here. Yeah. You know, suddenly Tommy this Lee Jones, absolutely Jim Carrey, like just put who's ever the biggest star and throw him in a but, movie. But I also think this is also a function of budget. You know, it's like, sure. well, we got to get like five or six people here, <laughs> so we can only own. We can really only pay for two really big names, but let's get some really good unknowns to play these other stars. And hence, A Star is Born and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's If nothing else, this movie's legacy is that it gave the world Hugh Jackman movie star. Yeah. Because... Boy, did his career take off it after did. this. And he's perfect as Wolverine. Like, yeah. He is just so perfect. He did. Even physically. Like, oh, yeah. He looks oh, yeah. so That's different. That's what's really yeah, funny. Yeah. He's like half his size. Yeah. Well, to me, it got a little ridiculous as it went on, like how cut he had to be <laughs> as Wolverine. I honestly feel like this is almost perfect the way he is now because it's just it doesn't look so over the top like Wolverine yeah. has been, you know, on the whatever diet for a thousand years. Yeah, and, by the time yeah. we get to the Wolverine, he is like jacked. Unbelievably jacked. jacked. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. He is jacked man. He's yes. jacked man. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. I'm like, all right. Eat a burger. If you take nothing else away <laughs> from this podcast, it's that you should eat a burger. Eat a burger. <laughs> Drink your protein shakes. Eat your protein bars. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think the lesson we all learn from X-Men, be nice. Be nice. Be kind. Everybody's dealing with their own struggle, as Aaron said. Yeah. You know, uh, and we all have to go through it. So Love one another. Yeah. The world's Don't a better place. steal people's motorcycles. That too. That too. Oh, that yeah. one. Yes. I liked it when Captain Marvel did it. <laughs> yeah, she's well, allowed. She I'm gets a, a pass. Hypocrite. She gets a pass. Well, Arnold did it too in Terminator, and that was awesome. Which I so, think it was an homage to yeah. that. Ah, there you go. In a nutshell, of sorts, is X Men 2000. I would call it that just because it came out in 2000. Um, I want to thank my co-hosts, Alexis. And Aaron, thank you so much for sharing all your lovely thoughts. Pleasure being here. I'm Pleasure. sure you'll be hearing from everyone again yep. in future X-Men episodes. Speaking of which, up next will be X2, X-Men United. Dum, dum, dum. Picks up the baton from this one and runs with it like hell. So stay tuned to that and make sure you take a minute to rate us, review us, and subscribe. Uh, and then follow along as we'll be going through the entire X-Men franchise. More to come. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.